Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Welcome to the Groundhog Day podcast, uh, 1993's Bill Murray vehicle. Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, a lot of a lot of famous faces from the 90s in this one. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray, who I just tried to approximate and failed miserably, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Aaron. How many times have you seen this movie? I was just thinking about that. Uh, by the way, this is directed by Harold Ramis, written by Danny uh, Rubin and Harold Ramis. Yeah. Uh, I have seen this movie on camera 12 times. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was thinking that like at least that many, I brought at least that many. Because yeah. um, there was a time where I like, as a, as a late teen, early 20 something, where I was borderline obsessed with this film. And then, I mean, it, it was a an era when this movie was on TV all the time, just basic cable. Yeah. Uh, some of the networks were playing reruns of it. I saw it constantly. Yeah. And I love this movie. I've seen it with my son twice, like one when he was like real little and then one like I think right around the time where we did this for the charity marathon. Uh, so I think I'm at least 25. I've got a like yeah. a silver jubilee thing going on with this. What about you? Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's between the 12 that I saw it and all my childhood viewings, uh, the most recent viewing for this podcast, which you would think maybe we wouldn't need to watch it again, but there are so many little things in there that you pick out every time you watch it. And I'm it just certain evolving. I could have made a podcast without watching this again and yeah. nobody would have told the difference, but <laughs> I, it's because I, I, you, all right, let's, let's approach it from this direction. You yeah. and I both kind of expressed that we didn't want to see this movie for a very long time after we watched the Groundhog's Day mm -hmm. marathon. And if you're unfamiliar three years ago, uh, the whole reason we're doing this in fact, is to kind of kick off the third annual Groundhog Day charity marathon celebration thing. Three years ago, Jim and I had had a dream that we would watch Groundhog's Day, Groundhog Day, the movie on mm -hmm. Groundhog Day, the actual physical temporal space and time uh, for the entire period of the, the entire 24 hours, midnight to midnight. Yeah. And we made that dream come true. We raised a bunch of money for a worthy charity, the National Alliance to, in homelessness. Um, and then we said, we never want to watch this movie again. Three years later, uh, you've watched the movie again. I did. Uh, yeah. To, to, to gear up for a charity stream. I, I feel like that your position has softened. How, how much has yeah. it softened? Uh, as much as Bill Murray's heart softened in this film. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I, it's just so easy to watch. This it is really one of is. the rare romantic comedies that I enjoy. Yeah. Uh, because it is, in fact, that. But it uh -huh. has so much of like this exploration of the theme and the exploration of the scenario that I really enjoy that I sort of overlook the fact that it's a romantic comedy and it's very well written too. It's uh -huh. not like it's uh, just some cheesy thing that they sort of shit out onto the page. No, it's astonishingly, astonishingly well constructed mm -hmm. and conceived. And I want to talk about that eventually, but I, when I, cause it was a bit of a process to even watch this goddamn movie because like yeah. for whatever reason, uh, Amazon is, we own this thing on Amazon. I think from the last time we watched it, uh, yeah. uh, we own it on Amazon, but it's being a real asshole. Like it was playing stuttery and then it would get in the video would go away. 
Uh, so I had to I had to dig out my own personal copy, and I was kind of upset. But as soon as like the thing started, and you got that blue skies, uh, <laughs> the opening credits to the cheerful polka music, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm in. And you know, the other thing is like, the core of the the Groundhog Day movie feels very familiar. The actual Groundhog Day loop. Yeah, such that uh, the, I I don't know why, but I forget a lot of the beginning part because you only experience that once per voyage through the movie. Sure, where, I've only seen that like twenty five times. Exactly, where as the opposed other stuff, to the Groundhog Day. Yeah, I'm in the thousands, like in, <laughs> yeah, in, in yeah. individual vignettes of him sitting at the diner and him uh-huh. stepping in puddles and shit. I've seen hundreds, thousands of times, but him. You know, uh, giving shit to Larry, uh, him, his mm-hmm. first contentious relationship with Andy McDowell, him being just a kind of a, a royal shitter around the newsroom is is still feels very fresh. Those those first 15 minutes still feel kind of crackle with excitement and promise. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into the comfort zone of the repeating day. You, you sure do. You sure do. Uh, but I just realized I love everything about this movie. I think I could do another marathon. I oh, I boy. think uh, maybe a f- uh, for a five-year anniversary, we we just roll back to classic. Yeah? Yeah, because I, I could take another 24 hours, I'm pretty sure. Now, maybe 12 <laughs> hours in, my <laughs> brain would start to melt. But uh, By I the also... end, you will have learned piano. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I made my notes for this movie uh, on top of my – I kept the Groundhog Day journal. Uh, when we did, did? It. yeah, I had on my phone, I had an empty document where I was just writing down like memorable times, like hmm. five o'clock in the morning when the network shit out. And we thought uh-huh. that five hours into this thing, it was just going to flame out. Uh, you know, at six forty-five AM is when the groundhog first popped up animated in its full glory. Okay. Phil. Yeah. Uh, eight twenty-five PM is when I sang, I got you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just, just, you know, some of the highlights of that marathon stream. And again, because uh, I'm going to forget to talk about this because I want to get wrapped up in the movie. This weekend, starting on Friday at noon, that's January, uh, what is that? January 31st. Yes. Noon Eastern Standard Time. Jim and I are going to take the twitch.tv slash bald move, and we're going to have a 24-hour disaster movie marathon. We're going to be seeing, we're going to kick it off with Armageddon, and then we're going to take a tour of everything that can happen to this planet Earth. We're going to go through 2012. Uh, we're going to go through uh, Left Behind for the spirit, for the actual Armageddon. Uh, we're going to go through Twister, Volcano. Uh, if, if you've heard of a disaster movie, we're probably going to watch it. Uh, and we're going to have a great time. And this year, uh, we are going to be raising money for. Uh, relief for the Australian bushfires. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are giving all proceeds, net proceeds, to the uh, Australian Red Cross, who has been doing a lot of humanitarian work uh, out there. Uh, so if you're hearing this podcast and it sounds like something that you would be getting up for, then please go to twitch.tv slash baldmove. It's easy to donate. Uh, we'll be you know keeping track of everything, and we're going to be giving prizes away. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a highlight. It's been the highlight of our year for a lot la- the last few years running um okay so now that we know why we are dusting off this 1993 movie to give it a review uh, i'm kind of surprised we didn't review it before it seemed like why yeah. did we not decide to do just a, a, a groundhog day movie review after the experience <laughs> i don't know that i could have really it's like uh, i've just watched this movie 12 times i don't know that i had it in me uh, spiritually <laughs> to <laughs> be able to talk at all about this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I needed that three years of space, that two years of space. 
Um, so how do we want to talk about this movie? I, I kind of want to make some observations about the main characters at first. Okay, yeah, because I want to talk about the actors. That'll be a good, okay. good meshing of those things. So Phil played by Bill Murray. Yes. Uh, is this Bill Murray's best role? To my mind, probably so. The, the range that he has to show in this movie is broader than the stuff he normally has to do because normally he's like a character who has a defined personality and he brings that to the role in this yes. movie his personality evolves drastically over the course of the film yeah um and this i think uniquely because because you could throw there's a he's done a lot of good movies i mean uh, lost in translation is one i was of thinking lost films. in translation yeah. is the other one that's kind of in the running for best movie but i think you're right from a range standpoint yeah it's it doesn't hold a candle to Groundhog Day, and part of the reason I think it's such a great showcase um, is because Harold Ramis, who at the time was one of Bill Murray's very good friends, intentionally punched up the script every time he found a place. It's like, oh, I could see Bill saying this. This he would just rewrite the line, rewrite the situation to suit his style of comedy. Mm. It's like it's like uh, you know a lot of Bill Murray comedies you see him, and it's like he's a very funny man in a J.C. Penney suit. Mm -hmm. Harold Ramis is tailoring that thing. It like, you know, <laughs> taking it in at the waist, making sure the the, the sleeve falls just so, uh, you know, yeah. and, and that I think comes comes through. So, yeah, I think this mm -hmm. is clearly his, his best movie. Uh, what do we know about Phil at the start? I think Phil unironically is a good weatherman. He's yeah, it's interesting because his style is very much. Uh... There's a self-deprecative quality about it, but he doesn't uh, go in, full like Willard Brimley. Well, who is the first? Uh, like the Today Show weatherman has hmm. Al Roker. Al Roker is the, but he took okay. over from a guy who before you know had Willard like, Brimley. <laughs> no, I, I it's, have no idea who that is. It's one of it's yeah. It's it's like uh, they're these these uh, they got history kind of like pleasingly plump, eccentric, hmm. uh, outsized personalities, and like. Phil is funny, but he's also very cynical. Like that's but, yeah, but he's not really self-effacing. It's 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 funny, but not in 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 like a, a perfunctory, almost like a yeah. It's like like if David Letterman uh -huh. had never gotten famous and kind of flamed out and was bitter about it, and he was the weatherman on your on your local news. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, like like Dave Letterman had a failed uh, a career in broadcasting, and he came back with his tail between his legs, and he did you know, uh, the, the morning show on channel eight in, in Indianapolis, mm -hmm. that's the energy he's channeling, which I actually think would be entertaining as fuck. Sure. Uh, he'd probably just be festering in a, in a, in a pit of black despair as mm -hmm. kind of Phil seems to be doing. Yeah. I don't think he's living his best life. Yeah. But why is that? Well, I think he's frustrated. Um, you know, he's talking at the beginning about how, he's got notice from other stations or whatever right. like the he's big gonna networks move up. Are yeah it's, it's very much a weatherman uh nicholas cage kind of situation where like yeah. he's got this maybe this this hook uh that he's got in somebody somewhere but mm -hmm. here it's even more nebulous it's not like a real plot thread mm -hmm. uh so yeah i think he like knows that he could be destined for better things but he's stuck in this low level weatherman gig isn't that like I feel like to to the extent that like a lot of people have ennui about their life, isn't that like because the thing is, is Bill or I'm sorry, not Bill Murray. Phil Connors here is capable of great things. In the course of this movie, mm -hmm. he essentially obtains a medical degree. He becomes like a concert pianist. Yeah. Uh, he learns how to sculpt ice, uh, parlor magic. Uh, he he's he's capable of all like 
I, there's somebody, uh, some comedian, I think, talking about like, you know, we always complain about not having a superpower, right? You know, like, or we don't complain, but it's like people's like, oh man, what if I could fly or what if I could do this? It's like, but yeah. inside of all of us, we have the power to water ski and we have the uh, the power to like uh, sprint really fast and swim mm-hmm. really fast and hold our breath for five, 10 minutes. Like every, every human being is capable of this. Yeah. It's like, they're all untapped superpowers. And I think that's what's eating at Phil that he feels like he's got all the, but like everyone has that. Well, he just can't get out of his own way. Like yes. he's self-sabotaging throughout the beginning of this film. Because it's, it's like, um, it's like a, it's a, a fixation on like, if I only get to this level of success and dreams, then I can start enjoying life. You know, if I only right. get this big gig on the weather channel or the big gig at the, this on the today show, then you know my life will be full-time banging supermodels on this you know tropical islands which like is sea probably, lions i and, mean that is probably his goal right it's like that's what he wants to do with his life as manifested throughout the course of this very very long day yeah uh we see all the things that he tries when he when he realizes the power he has right and none of these things bring him satisfaction right uh-huh. it's it's only at the end when he has gotten out of his own way yeah. and, and truly understood what makes him happy yeah. and and the people around him happy is that's when he finally gets out of the day and becomes a decent human being yeah i mean that's the thing it's like i i feel like um i'm on the cusp of a realization about um you like you said getting out of your own way what does that actually mean what is the thing that's yeah. in the people's ways usually it's it's worry about the future or like shame and regret about the past and that's a very like yeah. buddhist message which i think is part of the thing that's in here that, that's in here but um like they, yeah I'm, I'm not quite ready to put a exact pin <laughs> on, on no. what's going on and, here. and i think it's different for everybody and it's even hard to pinpoint you know yeah. it's like okay i know something is wrong here but what is it yeah. What is the thing that I need to get out of my way yeah. in order to be the best version of me? It turns out in a scenario where you're locked into a single day for something like 30 years yeah. that you have a lot of time to discover what that thing is. Yeah. And and almost it, it's almost like the, the sameness of the scenario that he's mm-hmm. in every single day enables him to more thoroughly understand himself Yeah, because he doesn't have all these changing variables constantly, right? Yeah, there's also some kind of like, there's a, so, something like the core of this delusion where, like, I, I look at his first interaction with the B, the B and B lady, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's terrible. And he's like being so cruel to her, but she he's also effortlessly charming her. Uh huh. Like she's because he's a celebrity and like he's being smart That's and what funny, it is. and she's not really like astute enough to pick up how much like sarcasm and contempt he has for her and her and like you know she's just trying yeah. to be agreeable and be happy and i wonder like if far to phil's problem is you know he's trying to push everyone away with this persona this asshole persona but he's also so charming that it rarely works <laughs> or he's the architect of his own yeah uh, so that just makes it like cage here that just makes him a bigger asshole it's like well i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna come in his conversation a massive asshole and mm-hmm. then they're gonna hate me and then it's like, fuck, nope, she's still laughing and thinking I'm being cute and funny. There's no bottom. There's no bottom to this pit that I can dig. Yeah, it's almost like he got annoyed with all of the, uh, you know, the the fame and the attention and like the, uh, you know, in that sort of paparazzi kind of way. But he needs it for and, his job. And then that like, sort of feeds onto itself, right? So yeah. he becomes an asshole to those people. And so 
when he's an asshole, he's also charming in his assholery. And so then they want to talk to him more. It's it's a bit of a yeah. mirror age with Nick Cage and the weatherman, right? Because there he, is, yeah. he wants to be liked by everyone and people throw <laughs> throw milkshakes and food yeah. and shit at him. And he's he's hated because he's kind <laughs> of uh, I don't I don't know why. Why was, did people hate him in the weatherman? I'll have to go listen to our podcast and figure it out. Yeah. Hmm. But there's there's a little like a dark side of each other's coin uh, oh, yeah. in that movie going on here. Um, What's the better weatherman movie? I mean, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is the best weatherman movie that's probably ever going to be made. It's pretty damn good. Because like yeah. there's there's definitely dimensions and edges. I mean, we loved the weatherman. We, we did it mm-hmm. in our uh, Nicolas Cage uh, Super Serious Film Fest. Uh, it's a great movie, but... This thing I, I've tweeted last night. This thing is like a tesseract cube. Like it, every single time I come back, I never thought. Like when I watched this, I thought it was going to be like, oh, we're going to talk about our favorite parts. We're going to talk about uh, how much fun it was to do the marathon thing. Uh, we're going to talk about the new charity yeah. thing. But like, I'm not going to come to this table with anything like new to say about the movie. Literally 20 minutes in, I'm like, oh shit, I've never even thought about how Phil could be <laughs> ri- and the goddamn things. The, the Tesseract has, has shifted yet again. Why is the weatherman such a object of pity amongst film writers? I think it's because they're the Aquaman of the news team. Are they really, though? Like, Oh, they're not the anchor men and women who get the important things and they get to make the best jokes. Yeah. And they're not the sports people. Like, people care about... Like, That's true. S- sports is so stupid, and yet people care so much about it. Yeah. The weather is the thing, like... You might not get affected by someone getting gunned down in the street. You might not be affected by a structure fire. There, everyone's you might be affected by a political scandal. But the weather is going to affect you every goddamn day, and yet it's so mundane to be able to. It's like it's like talking to fish. Yeah, because they're not even the ones who are actually doing the the analysis, right? And often, Casey, they're just yes, presenting right. it. Yeah. yeah, they 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 they're they're like they're not meteorologists. They're simply. I think a lot of them are. Oh, that's even sadder. But when they're on, by the time you're on camera, you don't need to be. No, you don't. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, like by like you've made it. Like you're no longer slaving away at Noah. You're no longer, you know, typing out text for weather blasts at some kind of emergency service or something. You're actually on camera in front of the blue screen or the green screen, uh, and yet you're also probably in everyone's eyes the least valuable. I think there's there, that's. I mean, the there. qualifications for being a weatherman are very, very low. All are you they? Need, all, well, I would think all you would need is a an effable smile, uh-huh. uh, and the, the ability to work on a teleprompter. I thought that they all they, they actually were licensed meteorologists though too. A, like, a lot of them are, yeah, isn't it? Because I feel because I it's been like twenty years since I've watched local news, but they always like you know Bob Gregory. Is my, uh, yeah, I, I like I, Bob Gregory. Is Bob Gregory even still alive? My my perception of the weatherman is that it's a very low qualification position. Bob Gregory is accredited by the National Accredited Association of Meteorologists Association. Is in proud like they, that was always like before Bob Gregory had come out with his shtick. Bob Gregory. Yeah, fucking Bob Gregory. <laughs> Bob Gregory. I love Bob Gregory. Bob Gregory is, is the Bob man Gregory? that told me whether I had to go to school in the morning. Oh, in the that, winter that explains time. it. Yeah, I would love that man too. And like Bob, and he. Well, he, I'd love that man three days out of the year. And every every winter he I had like him. a how many snow days prediction, mm-hmm. and that was always fun. Like I I loved. Were you I keeping track of Bob Gregory's track record? You know, was it like oh Bob I, says Bob said last year we'd get twelve snow days. We here's only the got thing 11. about Bob. I think now that I know a little bit about bias. 
and reporting and how to make I, Bob was real hop, uh, re, real excited to talk about his predictions when he was on track to like, I predicted 27 uh-huh. days of snow on the ground and we're 23 and it's February 15th. <laughs> but, you know, the days where he was predicting like 60 and, you know, it's 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 March 1st and we've had three days of snow. Probably pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Gregory, a couple glasses of whiskey before the <laughs> bleary eyed. I'm telling on. you, an apocalyptic blizzard's going to hit in April. <laughs> and then it was that one April, we got like four inches of ice. So maybe Bob right. is vindicated. Bob's onto something. Bob Gregory, best goddamn weatherman in the country. I'll fight anyone about it. <laughs> All uh, right. <laughs> Let's talk about another actor. Let's talk about Stephen Tobolowsky. Okay. Ned Ryerson. Holy shit, Stephen Tobolowsky in this and, movie. And, and I, I, if you've only seen Groundhog Day a time or two, you might not know who Ned Ryerson and Stephen Tobolowsky but like, bing, now bing. you know. Now you know. <laughs> you absolutely know. Ned the head, needle nose Ned. What possesses a man to give this performance? It's it's so perfect. I it's, don't want to say, it's not bad. It's great. It's, it's amazing. Fearless. It's 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 leaning into everyone's stereotypes about your face. Yeah, yeah. He's made a career out of that face and that that annoying personality. Like like uh, uh, Jeff Davis on Harmontown said, he always talks about this favorite exercise he did in acting class, where the acting teacher would take you out to a mall. And he would have you wear whatever outfit you want to wear and just stand you like 100 feet away. And he would call people over and say, look at this guy. You see that guy standing under the archway? Here's a piece of paper. Write down the first three things you think about him. Wow. And they would do that for like 100 times. And then they would read it out in front of the class. Like this is like this is like no bullshit. This is no performance. This is the baggage that people bring in about you. I feel like Stephen Toblerowski to took those 100 things. Toblerowski. Toblerowski. Toblerowski, the chocolate man. He took those things. <laughs> about himself uh-huh. and just that was his performance there were only three <laughs> words that came back everybody gave the same three words it's big head needle nose <laughs> annoying, uh, and and no no social tact whatsoever yeah he he pulls it off it is marvelous and and when like, he howls like a cat when, uh, when they when they when you know bill and everybody are at the party at the end uh-huh. and they they come across him and say, uh, no, we're not going to have dinner with you. And he just howls like a cat. It's yeah. I, I can't imagine ever deciding to give that performance, but man, it works. The thing is, is like, this is the evolved Ned. Like he yes. says that the Ned, the head, the needle nose Ned, those days are behind me. I'm mm-hmm. now Ned the bull. Like he's, charge, yeah. he's gone to a couple salesman seminars and he's decided what was wrong with his approach. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how long he's been a sales insurance salesman. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, what if he just started this, like, you know, a week ago, and he's he's about to flame out of his career, and Bill Murray, <laughs> Phil Connors keeps him going. Like with, this with fifteen insurance policies. Yeah, yeah, like 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 Bill's just signing up or Phil signing up for everything because he thinks his day is never going to end. Right. So what it happens him tomorrow? Nothing. He's on the hook for every yeah. shady insurance investment. This guy's got to sell. It's going to keep him fed for like a couple months. It's just going to prolong the agony of yeah. the fact that he just can't sell insurance. I think that's why he says at the end of the movie, maybe we'll start by renting when he says we should move here. Cause he just can't afford to buy. He's <laughs> bought right. so much insurance. That's right. He's going to have to change his address to like, dodge all of the <laughs> legally binding commitments that he's made that he oh, cannot yeah. afford over the last eons of his existence. Uh, but yeah, and the, the thing is, is like there's there's an element to here's the reason why Phil is pretty likable, even though we've said he's an asshole. He's not like reflexively an asshole. Like when this guy comes up to him, he's he's uncomfortable with it, but he's like you know 
I'm going to feign polite interest and I'm going to have a conversation. Yeah. It's only when Ned like takes it nakedly, mer- 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 you know, mercenary that right? he's like, am I right or am I right? Exactly. Right? It's like, right? you know, right, right, right. <laughs> I'd love to stand here and talk with you, Ned, but I'm not going to. Uh-huh. And you just, I, I fucking love that. I fucking love that. That's great. Um, I wish it's funny because right before I sat down to watch Groundhog Day, Last night, I walked through a store where, I shit you not, I, I was propositioned by unrelated services people to sell me on my cable subscription. They want to talk hmm. to me about how they can save money on my energy bill. And, like, I I, I I wish I could be this smooth. I wish I could be like, you know, I'd love to stand here in this, in this store uh, while my ice cream is melting in my <laughs> cart for 20 minutes to have you scam me on some kind of energy bill. Yeah. But I'm not going to. I wish I wish I could it, be that smooth. It, it takes a certain amount of not giving a fuck about what people think about you and how you make them feel. Because what I really want to do is hug these people. I yeah. want I want to give like the late stage Bill Murray, hug him and be like, "Man, sales is hard. This job sucks so bad, but I'm still not going to waste my time just because I feel sorry for you. But you have value and worth as a human being, and I hope your <laughs> life turns around. Like 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 if I could do that sincere, sincerely, like like uh, the Dalai Lama could pull something like that off. Yeah, I can't making a lot of assumptions about that person's life based on their choice of uh hey, career if you're standing in the middle of walmart mm-hmm. trying to tell people that they can save money on their energy bill by talking to you for 20 minutes yeah uh, this is not where you envision when we were six years old running around the house with That's a true. with a with a cape tied around your neck this is not where you thought you'd we, you'd end up absolutely so like you know the, 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 do what you got to do to get that check I, I hope you land back on your feet somewhere Anyway, uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about Ned Ryerson? No, no. Uh, can we talk about Groundhog? Oh, I want to talk about the other. I we almost I forgot that we didn't talk about Rita. There are several. Yeah, there are several other people. Uh, Annie McDowell is the perfect person for this role mm-hmm. because she's adorable. She's yep. also very smart, uh, and she's got a bit of an acid tongue herself. Yes. Like when she goes into like the the Phil Gluttony scene where oh. he's just. Like pack of this housing whole mm. slices of cake in his mouth. In a single bite, yeah. In a single bite with the with the icing just smeared to the side <laughs> of his face. And he's not going to ever wipe that off throughout any other take. Oh no. Um he's... when she just like looks at him and says something, what was the line? It's like, uh, I love to see a man of advancing years throw caution to the wind. <laughs> it's inspiring in a way. It's such a great line and she delivers it so well. But uh-huh. you can instantly, you know, it's 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 not hard to imagine falling in love with this woman. Uh, even though sure. she's rocking just hardcore 90s mom core. Oh, yeah. I mean, from the clothes to the hair the to vests, the, to the smile, like the blouses, <laughs> the high waisted jeans. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's an atrocity, but th- th- this should it's not fine. be as attractive as it is. Andy McDowell is just uh, some sort of angelic creature. I mean, it's all, uh, it's all coming back, too. So we have yeah. that to look forward to in the next two years. That's true. People will start looking like this again. That's true. Um, they i think that there's something very interesting about like phil instantly hating her from the first jump like uh caesar over there fucking around with the green which i think you know that's super cute she's got a blue coat on she's fucking with the blue everyone like hey first time we had green screen technology here at the office it it was a lot of fun i mean i put on a a christmas tree hat over (laughs) over the christmas festivities and it disappeared and i was thrilled yeah just because you're wearing cosmic void on your head yeah right. it's it's a lot of everyone should be able to play the green screen at least once uh but she he looks over and uh you know was it larry saying oh yeah rita's fun she was like, oh she read rita's not my kind of fun yeah i 
Ugh, Chris Elliott in this movie. Mm. This fucking guy. But we'll get there. Well, there's again, there's another guy who's just giving performance based on the comment cards he got yeah. from that mall exercise. Uh-huh. Uh, what other characters do we want to talk about? Uh, well, I mean, we could talk about Chris Elliott real quick, Larry. Yeah. Uh, he's fucking disgusting. He's yeah. He's more disgusting in my mind than Bill Murray's character, Phil, because he doesn't change over the course of the film. Well, he he's yeah. just had one day. Right. And, I would like, like to see a sequel where it's Larry, though. Wouldn't wouldn't that be? Because here's the thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Larry comes by his bullshit honestly. You know. I mean, he he takes a lot of shit from Phil. He also gives it, but. Maybe not though. Maybe, maybe what, not. What do you mean? What were you? What are you? Well, I was just thinking, like you know, good? that like that maybe he's just put upon, beat down, like you know, just, just, just. Did well, he he has that one line about cameraman, right? When he's trying to seduce Nancy or whatever, mm-hmm. he says, "Oh yeah, the people think that the cameraman just points the camera at things and and that's it, but it's not that easy. There's more to it." Clearly, someone in his past has told him this, right? Like, yeah, he's gotten a lot of shit for just being a cameraman. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking like I grew up in, but he's what he actually says is he's from California. He'd been covering mm-hmm. like for six years the migration of the swallows from whatever. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like maybe he doesn't have an excuse to be this obtuse and gross. I I don't think so. I don't think many people do. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, up until recently, there's not been a lot of societal pressure to like mold men into a shape, you know, yeah. other than kind of like you know. Repul- like if, if if you if you came out of the mold in a repulsive shape in your attitude or whatever or your bearing or your manner, it wasn't a lot a lot of pressure like making you feel bad about that and thinking about like hey maybe you'd be more successful if you changed. So yeah, you know Larry's a product of society is what I'm saying. Uh- <laughs> I found well, out that uh, so you knew Brian Doyle Murray's uh, Bill Murray's brother. I did. Did you know that Bill Murray has three? Two other brothers, rather. I know he has one other brother, but I and I've seen him in a role or two. Has... Joel Murray, you've definitely seen him. He played Fred Rumson in Mad Men. Yes, yes, yes. That's yeah. the other one. So that's the other one. There's another Murray brother out there. There is. He's been in a few movies. He was in like Stripes and Caddyshack as like bit roles and stuff. Okay. So like, you know, he's he's not super famous. He doesn't act a lot. I see. Uh, the Brian and Bill are definitely the they most sell famous insurance. of the two. Or the four brothers. Does he sell insurance? He might. I don't know. Probably now. <laughs> to all the other Murray brothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They each have 15 policies. It keeps him in. Remember me? We grew up together. Clothes. Bing. Um, all right. What other what other characters do we want to talk about? Do we want to get to the. Uh, before we get to further talk about the movie, I want to talk about Groundhog Day, the actual celebration. Okay. Because when we came into the groundhog day marathon i'd seen groundhog day a lot but it never occurred to me to actually like look up punxsutawney phil and like how this all works uh so the first time i actually saw a real the other thing is these these things happen incredibly early in the morning yeah um it happens at the break of dawn which you know in february is not super early but still it's a pretty early morning celebration which is why it's i like never trucked with it 7 a.m i think is around the time that we were watching might have been might have been it's just when the dawn it's like it's as dawn is breaking yeah. um this does not the gobbler's knob is not in any kind of charming town square yeah it's out in the middle of nowhere uh it's just this big open field where literally thousands of people it's like Times square in the middle of a a, a godforsaken rural woods in pennsylvania 
Uh, the dudes are all dressed up. They they they, they have all the razzmatazzle. They have the scrolls. Um, they're a lot more elaborate. There's like rhyming stanzas. The guy they, mm-hmm. they really make a meal out of it nowadays. But it the like like the 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 vendor cart selling popcorn and roasted nuts and the polka dancing and the gazebos and like the small town that it, i didn't see that there. there's lots of generators mm. and bright lights and probably just smell <laughs> the diesel fume you can you can smell it over the camera yeah i wish the real event was anywhere near as charming as it's depicted on the film that's true of most events uh you know, like you you mentioned, like a New Year's Eve sort of thing. Yeah, New Year's Eve is hell if you oh, go to yeah. Times Square. You're right. You you can barely get out of the crowd to go to the bathroom. You have to stand there for hours and hours and hours in the freezing cold. It's, By the time the performance comes on, you can barely hear it. There, you're just crushed against fences constantly. It's a nightmare. It's hard to get access to booze, to food. Yeah, you know, it's it's just like a, it's an endurance thing right. more than it is like a fun celebration. Um, I also for the first time was motivated to find out how this Groundhog Day shit got started. Like, do you know anything about this? No, like, 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 uh, you know, Bill Murray's like, uh, they pull the rat out, they look at him. How's the shadow shit work? Okay, (laughs) you you used to eat it. You're a hypocrite. It's so funny. So I looked it up, and this was on the 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 history dot com website. Um, and it turns out it's all about Hitler's an alien. Uh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure for a second. Something about it's, it's ancient Egypts used to worship ancient Egyptian. The ancient Egypts. Yep. The ancient Egypts used to worship the rat as a prognosticator. No, it says according to tradition, if a groundhog comes out of its hole on Groundhog's Day and sees its shadow, it gets scared and runs back in its burrow, which predicts six more weeks of winter weather. If it mm-hmm. doesn't see its shadow and remains relaxed, then it's time for spring. Okay. Yeah. So this day has its er, its roots in the uh, ancient Christian traditions around Christmas and Candlemas, which is where the clergy would bless and distribute candles that they thought would be needed for the winter. Uh, the candles represented how long and cold the, th- the winter was thought to be. Uh, the Germans took this tradition and expanded it by selecting an animal, the hedgehog, as an animal that had the capability of predicting weather. The fuck? And when, Huh? Okay, I'm waiting for the groundhog to okay. get in on this. When these German assassination style, I don't know what he's doing <laughs> to this hedgehog. When the German immigrants came to America, they settled in Pennsylvania and continued its tradition. Although hedgehogs were nowhere to be found in North America, they made a substitution. They adopted the groundhogs, which Jesus. were plentiful in the Keystone State. Uh, and this is often thought to be, this is, might be apocryphal, but this is where the, their best guess of where this particular edition came out. The ground dogs, the real animal go into hibernation in the late fall. Uh, and if you know anything about hibernation, their body temperature drops, their heartbeat slow down. They lose up to 30% of their body mass in February, male, uh, groundhogs almost said hedgehogs <laughs> in February, male groundhogs emerge from their burrows to look for a mate but not to predict the weather. And they do this for like a, like a period of days or weeks before they go back underground and wait for the rest of winter out and they come out for good in March. So like if you're just observing hedgehog behavior, you see him come out, scurry around, maybe go in another hole, come out, and then go back down. It's like, oh, he's afraid. He's going back in and hiding from the winter. And thus, a hundreds-year-old tradition is born. Also, apparently, Puxathane Phil hmm. is only like the most popular. There's like these types of festivals all over the Midwest and Eastern Seaboard. I assumed, yeah. Yeah, and they all have different names. They're not all Phil. No. Uh, 
Do you think it's interesting in like a meta way that Phil... Newark Nate? Yeah, no, there is actually <laughs> one of them uh, was something like. Did are you making that up? Totally because there was one that was just like that. Yeah, there's a uh, Miami Mitch, <laughs> Colorado Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did do you think it's interesting that they both share the name Phil? I do. I feel like that yeah. adds this, the surrealness to it. It does, and I thought, what a what a ballsy decision somewhere along the writing process here. Like, what are we going to call the 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 main character here? Yeah. Well, Phil, isn't that a little too silly? Isn't that like, you know, the groundhog's name Phil. Can we really call him Phil? And then you say, yeah, and you go, yeah. okay, well, that actually makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. I can imagine this groundhog's life is just being stuffed in a box, uh-huh. pulled out once a year, and that felt like a sort of unreasonable existence similar to what Bill Murray was experiencing. Yeah, and there's all kinds of this. This built like, once I started, like, formulating this, like, oh, it's Phil... Um, it's just like a funny joke that like he'd be stuck in this experience that he's he's having with Phil, but there's even more to it. Like everyone looks to Phil as having the answer for the weather, and yet Phil is this is the the one day where he's completely wrong in his prediction. Yeah. Uh hmm. and I think that's that there there's there's a lot of interesting things swirling around there. Did you read anything about the how the script was made? No. So Danny Rubin, who's the one that kind of came up with the idea, apparently was sitting in a movie theater one day, and he was trying to come up with what's called a calling card script. His agent was like, you need to have like a, a, a well-fleshed-out treatment that you're ready to slap down anytime someone says, oh, you got a project you're working on, it's interesting. So he, he was in the middle of a movie theater, and he thought about like what it would be like to be an immortal and like how you would change over time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, that's a fascinating concept. But it's like, man, think about like a mortal living through periods of time. It's now it's like a multiple period piece. It'd be expensive. There's no way you could ever get made. Yeah. So he came up with the idea of a man being stuck in the same day to make it that's cheap so to film. Up. That's the exact opposite of how I would come up with this, this script. Oh, it gets better. It would come from a core conceit of like, what if somebody was stuck in a single day? Uh-huh. But he came around this as like, this is all a mercantile endeavor. He wanted wow. to send around a holiday, okay, but not a well because like then it would have repeat like oh every year people would oh it's time to watch. Mm-hmm. But he wanted something that like wouldn't get crowded out by like Halloween or Christmas. So we picked. Uh, he he said it like at the at, around the New Year changing. So he's looking for holidays around uh, January, like in the New Year. Yeah. And the first he's like, oh, you know, I can't do uh, Washington Day. I can't do fucking Groundhog's Day. Mm-hmm. Groundhog Day keep on saying groundhog's day yeah it happens it's groundhog day and then he got attached with uh, harold ramus who took the script and said oh this was great for my friend bill murray so he punched it up to make it a very specific bill murray vehicle and this was after uh tom hanks passed on this part he was the first choice and then uh batman michael uh keaton was the second choice michael keaton would have been excellent he's the film. only other person i can imagine yeah having the same kind of charisma but cynicism right i'm trying to imagine tom hanks at the beginning of this movie and it's really difficult tom hanks does seem to struggle playing like an asshole character i've seen him it's do it not a my perception of him yeah. what have you seen him in playing an asshole uh like like he plays a villain in road to perdition eh, i haven't seen it um but even then it's like a heart of gold he's like a gang contract gang killer with the heart of gold uh-huh uh, can't kill kids, or I can't remember what is. Uh, I need to watch that movie again. He only kills kids. It's like literally the old. Because <laughs> uh, hey, they, you know their their life is yet, so they haven't even lived a life. It's right. like it's almost like it's like uh, you know just a redo. It's a spiritual redo. <laughs> um, so they pinched it up, and then so then the 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 uh, 
movie studio got a hold of it and said, well, because because uh, both Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin wanted to just start this like they actually want to start the movie where you're like five or six loops into the process already. Mm. And then the audience just slowly discovers what's going on through his experience. And the studio's like, ah, you're going to lose people. Uh, what you need is you need to have him messily break up with his girlfriend in Pittsburgh who happens to be a witch and she's going to curse him with an old spell no no and it's going to start this explicitly like cursed thing and Harold Ramis is like okay sure but it and so they did that they 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 turned into traditional three-act structure where you had the beginning where he doesn't know then he's stuck in the loop and he gets out of the loop and then he actually thought that made the movie structurally better. And then mm-hmm. he went to the bat and said, we just got to get rid of the witch. Absolutely. And this is this, that that's how Groundhog Day got written. It I was think... explicitly a resume kind of like Colin card thing. That's so cynical for, and for, shitty. for a symbol, for, for a symbol, for max, um, like, like, yeah, it, it almost feel like that the plan worked because he set out to make did. this beloved classic entry uh-huh. and, and yet it also effortlessly is the, that thing. Like if you, if I had told you a story mm-hmm. where it's like this guy just like just just got hit in the head and he had this 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 concept and he just had to do it, you'd probably believe that too. It's like a passion. Absolutely, because that's how I would have approached it. But like, what is this cool concept? Okay, where are the logical extremes here? Let's explore the space. But man, that's cynical. But I'm still glad it exists, and I'm glad it exists in the form it does. Although I would be really interested to see how the five to six loops in version would work. Yeah. I think it'd be a more daring film. Yeah. Because I wouldn't describe this film as particularly daring. I think there are a few scenes and moments that get very dark. Um, but the witch version would have been awful. So, so here's the la- the last piece of the, the spice that got put in the stew. Uh, Harold Ramis uh, convinced his friend Bill Murray to be in this movie, and he wrote it explicitly for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Murray had to ha- take some convincing because he's going through some bad times. He was going through a bitter divorce. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a rocky time in his life where he had independently of this movie started hearing people attaching his name with Harold Ramis together, and he got in his head that people thought that Harold was responsible for all of his success, and he's starting to get quietly hmm. bitter about it. So yeah. you get this bitter, pissed-off, angry Bill Murray arriving on set, and I guess he's a real he's just a real asshole. He wants to, like, mute the comedy aspects and lean into the dark and darkness and pathos. <laughs> He'll have the rest of his career to do that. But I think that mo- the movie needed that, right? Like, like it needed some of that, certainly. Where, where he's got that, like this, this winter's going to be long. It's going to mm-hmm. be cold. It's going to last the rest of your life. That haunted Bill Murray. Yeah. If that is missing, the movie also misses like a little bit of its greatness, right? Oh yeah, it becomes too saccharine. Yeah. So all these like the studio interference. This guy wanting to make a commercial accessible hit. Harold Ramis wanting to do this like role explicitly for his friend that he loved. Bill Murray being a shitter and having a really bad time. This ended their relationship. Yeah, you were talking about that before. I, the this was like the saddest thing in the world that like after this movie, it was so bad that like uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis stopped working together. They didn't speak for twenty years until Harold Ramis was on his deathbed. Wow. Brian, Bill's brother, basically said like, "Look, if you don't." make your peace with this man you're going to regret it for the rest of your fucking life mm-hmm. and he did what a I, that's what i'm saying like this this movie if it had, if if one little thing had happened differently we wouldn't have gotten the greatness that is groundhog day yeah and i'm sure there are 50 other movies that are just like this that things did happen differently 
and they never got off the ground or they never became a success. Yeah. Because one thing went wrong. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that like this has gotten a reputation in the last 30 years is being, um, oh my God, I just realized that like if we do this as a five year or six year anniversary, it'll also be the 30th anniversary of Groundhog. It's starting to feel like fate. <laughs> Uh, that we're going to have to do this again in a couple of years. Um, or maybe Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, and then Russian Doll. I was talking about fate and destiny because a lot of people, the, 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 there's an article I think written in 2006 calling this the most spiritual film of its generation. And hmm. I started digging into that. And it turns out that Ramus uh, was raised with quote unquote ambiguous religious beliefs. He was an agnostic, raised uh, uh, Jewish, uh, and then he married a Buddhist. Okay. So he brings in all these traditions, and as a result, um, there's like tons of articles where you can find Hindus and Buddhists praising it because of its themes of selflessness and rebirth and reincarnation. Like Catholics dig it because they see a, like a version of purgatory that's like approachable and understandable. Mm-hmm. Like you know that kind of fits their uh, uh, beliefs like a hand in glove. Jewish people see inspiration in the fact that. Phil's able to escape this pitiable state after he performs good deeds and is not goes he doesn't go to heaven, but in fact he's returned to earth to continue to perform yet more. Like it depend no matter what your spiritual background, it seems like you can find something to appreciate about this movie. Yeah, it's universally uh, acceptable. I think. Yeah, which I think is one of the other keys of his success that you had this band that was like one of the ones shaping the film that had respect and was steeped in the traditions of all these different religions. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do you think the period of time is that's portrayed in this movie? So I've heard, I, th- I think it's Harold Ramis talk about this. He says it's something like 10,000 days. Yeah. Which or 10, is roughly years. 30 years. That like, 10,000 years is yeah, what he cool. said? So he said a bunch of different things. The first statement that I tracked down, he said that um, uh, in an interview, he said, according to Buddhist doctrine, it takes 10,000 years for a soul to evolve into the next level of enlightenment. And he thinks that, spiritually speaking, Groundhog Day takes about 10,000 years. Okay. Yep. Uh, Jesus. Then in the DVD commentary, which he recorded a few years later, mm-hmm. Ramis uh, estimated that he thinks that the duration depicted on film is more like 10 years. Okay. Then a year later, he told a reporter that he thought the 10-year estimate was too short that he gave on the commentary, uh, that it takes at least 10 years to get good on at, at anything, and allotting for downtime and like the suicide arc that he thinks at least 30 or 40 years. Okay, uh, that's the one I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Did you read the what, the, the what Culture article? No. Where they tried to put a time frame on like how long it would take to get like his, you know, quote unquote honorary medical degree, how mm. long it would take to become a concert level pianist. Uh, and they had, they, they, they added it all up and it was a minimum of 12,395 days, about 35 okay. years. Uh, in Groundhog Day. And that's just from like his ice sculpting. That's yeah. just like how long it would take to get like a mastery at that particular hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's the thing is like, I never even considered thinking about those questions, but it came up a lot when we were doing the the marathon. Like people seem to fascinated about like, is there a secret there to figuring out exactly how long he spent in the time loop? Well, I think you and I both independently identified different phases for this film that yes. we'll go through here in a second. But like, I'm I'm curious to see how long 
he spins in each phase because there are certainly phases that would take longer than others, right? Mastery of skills. Sure. Probably takes a lot longer than the despair phase. Sure, sure. And, uh, I, and the thing is, like, there the first period that... Um, so let's, let's talk about this in the Groundhog Day. So we're going to explicitly start talking about the movie. Yeah. Like an hour into this review. Uh, I call this phase yesterday. Okay. And this I is essentially before, so, yeah, the, the, day before, the day before Groundhog Day and I think also encompasses the first Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, where you have, you know, he he goes to the town, he spends the night, he wakes up, it's Groundhog's Day. Uh, the snowstorm that he predicted is going to be pushed is going to actually hit. He's going to be dead center in it. Um, and then it, it 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 leads to the next phase, which I call is the dawn, the period of dawning realization. I call it the what the fuck phase. <laughs> so this is encompasses the second and third day. Uh, and I love the way Murray plays that second day. Like he's sober, he's scared, but he's not crazy. He's a man of science. Yeah, he thinks, oh, maybe I had a dream. Yeah, you know, or like or like this town is just kind of weird, and everything's the day is the same. And like, what is Groundhog Day like a whole weekend festival around here? Maybe yeah, like, or the cameraman's fucking with him somehow or something. Yeah, like I like that like that day where he's talking about Groundhog's Day. He's like, it's it's still just once a year, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and then like there's this dawning horror as he sees Ned again and uh he steps in the pothole mm-hmm. uh but he's still game like he goes and he does the same like news re- performance uh and he's I, I love the line where he's calling about the long distance lines and they say it's going to be fixed tomorrow he's like well what if there is no tomorrow there, there wasn't, wasn't one today <laughs> yep <laughs> and then this is the brilliance of it he comes up with this pencil experiment yeah where he's like okay okay what can i trust mm-hmm. he snaps it and he puts it on different levels just like and then next day he wakes up and the the pencil's hole and in another place and now he knows. This is where I start to have huge questions, logistic questions about this film. Oh yeah. If he stays awake until six a.m., what happens? What goes on in that room? That's a great question. Like at six a.m., regardless of what he's doing, he awakes at the exact biological state, but he retains the memories and experiences. But there's also a discrepancy there because there is one day in which he is actively awake already before the clock flips over. So I don't understand like when exactly there's one day where he's just laying there, eyes open waiting and the thing comes on and it's like right at the despair turn. Right. Um, so I had that exact, and I rewound a couple times. To me, it's ambiguous whether he's laying down, like waiting for the reset to happen, or he's actually awake and waiting for. Because you're right, it should be impossible for him to wake up before the reset happens, right? Because he always starts it asleep, being woken up by the alarm clock. Mm-hmm. So there's some discrepancy there. Yeah, and it it drives me a little bit batty. I think it's I think it's this, you're you're supposed to understand that he's la- he's like laying down defeated waiting for it to happen. Yeah, but it is ambiguous and because then it it's does shot happen. kind of day to night too. But but it does happen, right? Like everything goes off the same. Like the day restarts. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I guess to him it wouldn't be super noticeable that there's any big change. Hmm. I wonder if it's a, a reset of sort of his mental state too, like certain parts of it. Like he yeah. retains the memories of the previous day, but he doesn't notice that everything has changed back or, or the actual changing moment. Yeah. It well, just sort of happens. And then he goes on as if this is the repeat of the day. Well, the other thing is like, there's some days where he seems significantly fresher. Like yeah. during the depression era, he's got like dark circles and bags under his eyes. Like he doesn't look well. Uh, 
So it's like, yeah. is there any, but, but the other thing is like, at, you know, um, underneath all my analysis of this also it's just a movie right and they're like you know using the makeup and his level of energy to tell the story as well as you know i don't know what like because like that that's the thing that i couldn't explain it's like why does he get progressively more bags under his eyes like is he getting sleep deprived or does he wake up completely yeah. biologically refreshed like and also if you you sh- he should be extremely well like put aside the depression mm-hmm. He should be extremely well rested the day after he gets out of bed, grabs the toaster, yeah, electrocutes himself, right? Like that's that you got out of bed and just went right back to sleep. Mm -hmm. But then again, that's probably a fundamental misunderstanding of the way depression works, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah. the depression is probably taking a physical toll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's psychological. It's the universe psychologically torturing him at some point. Mm Hmm. Hmm. Uh. But this is like this this third day where he wakes up and now he's frantic because the pencils broke. Uh-huh. Everything's terrifying. Like the guy, the 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 chubby guy confronting him at the staircase, the well-meaning B and B. Ned, he just like fucking pushes away. <laughs> like, oh my God. Um but then by the end of that day, he realizes that he can do whatever he wants, which the movie shifts to the next phase, which I call full on hedonism. Uh, okay. And this I, is where he he gets at the end of the third day he's riding the railroad tracks with the guys. Yeah. Those cops die. Right. That was my question. What happens to the cops? They're dead. Him? Because this the second before he he, yeah. he whips it off the right you see them still following. They get destroyed by that train. And and he beats them to the intersection so they either mm-hmm. flip over into the field or they they get killed. Right. It doesn't matter either way because they're just going to be there's <sighs> It's a great scene. It's a great scene. And it's also um it's also an interesting way to start talking about the film's morality, which I don't want to fully explore because okay. some of this stuff I want to, I, I think I'm going to do a follow-up podcast on, on uh, one, or I'm going to talk about this on uh, the next one weird trick over in Swizzbold. Um, okay. But like, if he kills these cops, what moral standing does that act have when everything is going to be reset? Like you're starting to tread on simulation theory. Yeah, I, I would say it has zero... Uh, negative or positive moral impact yeah. to this man because as if he believes that there is no consequence now i mean the question gets sticky when you talk about the final iteration of this well, day yeah, and he never knows when he's gonna pop out exactly because yeah. he's talking about like when he's when he's doing all this he's, he's essentially preying on women through a lot of this movie oh, yeah. uh specifically preying on uh uh rita and i kind of want to explore some of that um but it made me think about like in the near future when we have like, you know, VR simulations, like mm-hmm. uh, let's say you've got like a hopeless man or woman. Uh, they're very socially awkward. They're very nervous. They can't find dates because of this. Is it creepy if they go on a dating simulator that has some generic person that they can pretend to have a conversation with and it would realistically judge their uh, responses as like creepy or pushy or like they can kind of like get practice without. Is that creepy? Like, to practice dating? I don't think so. Would it be creepy to download a simulation of the person that you're actually going to go on a date with that physically looks like them? Perhaps. Is it? Is it? What if you fed that system with everything you know about them that you can glean off social media? That's getting creepier. That's getting... That's borderline very creepy. <laughs> but it's interesting. Like, arguably, the world would it be is. a better place if you could do that. 
because you know like uh, the, uh, the unfortunate thing, so so a lot of like if you're a creepy guy or creepy girl you're kind of fucked because people are will have no problem telling you you're creepy but like taking you under their wing to like trying to make you not creepy is mm-hmm. uh emotional labor that nobody wants to do sure so like maybe they need a simulator mm-hmm. and maybe what they do in the simulator is kind of reginald barkley star trek like I don't know. Like there's 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 some interesting like simulation theory questions about that. Yeah, I think I think where you start to get into trouble is when you model it after very real uh-huh. people that you know personally. Sure, but that's also the uh, that's also uh, the the most helpful type of simulation if you're wanting to for like... that one scenario. Yeah. yeah, but I think generally it's just uh-huh. as helpful to practice on someone. Agreed. Agreed. Completely anonymous. Agreed. I just wanted to to to, okay. to explore the the like again the morale like you know if he if he kills these cops does he actually kill them because everything gets reset yeah. like what are these people around him how much of how much of what he does is reveals the core of him and how much of what he does is what anyone would do if they were surrounded by like if you realize you were in a simulation and now like I'm not talking to Jim I'm talking to some computer program that's going to be reset and I can't hurt his feelings I get up right now from my desk punch him in the face mm-hmm. and he's going to forget about the next morning like that seems like inherently warping behavior yeah I think this phase in particular is very revealing about who Phil is mm-hmm. as a person because Look at the things he goes and does, right? He he has this massive pig out gluttony scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's clear- the most driving force before before he's a yeah. sex pervert, right? And then he becomes a sex pervert. And before like, he's a sex pervert, he starts with the donuts. That's where yeah. it starts. But but then he goes on to become <laughs> the sex pervert that that he clearly is. Like uh-huh. right, that's his impulse is to go do all these things. So like I think Andy McDowell stuck in this situation would respond very differently. Yeah, the things she would go do are try white chocolate and fudge i don't know i would love to see like andy mcdowell stuck in this loop yeah. larry stuck in this loop. you could remake this movie as andy mcdowell getting stuck in a day oh man it's too late because they're all like chris ellie i you mean you'd, so? have to, you'd have to recast them oh you know what you get uh jill from the leftovers who's her daughter okay and do groundhog t- day too yes the... same day yes same, getting stuck in the same day. day would be interesting the exact same day uh it would be interesting to see what her character would navigate that yeah to be like because also would be really because that's the question that I had is like, um, does Rita really love Phil? And does Phil really love Rita? Movie? Hmm. I think so. Because it's a harder sell for me that Andy McDowell, that the Rita loves Phil. Yeah. Because she's only had this one day uh-huh. to change her opinion. And so I think the movie does something smart. They say that this is, she's new to this news team. Because mm-hmm. if she had spent years That's working bro- around yes. Phil, there's You're no right. way he could change her mind about him in a single day. You're right. And it would feel artificial. Uh-huh. But not knowing this man, maybe yeah. she could fall in love Because in, you can always, like, day. she had a very strong initial bad imper- first impression. Yes. But I can think of, like, many times where I've met a person and thought they were a complete asshole and it turns out they were just really socially awkward or, just or they were having a very bad day, bad day yeah. and they just, you know, couldn't, it wasn't within their power to, like, you know, be a human being towards me. And mm-hmm. it, it, end up being good friends or acquaintances or coworkers with these people so like it happens for sure yeah like oh well you know how do you explain that like eventually he's got to say well i've been living a lifetime like it's unpacking his ten thousand years experience it's going to be the trip for her right because he doesn't do that on that final day he does it throughout the course of the film but that last day where they 
actually get together and the day ends. Yeah. I don't think she knows anything about it. And this is what, this is what I do want to talk in this podcast, uh, not safe for Swizzbold, is that um, Phil's relationship with Rita reminded me a lot of like what I've been reading about parasocial relationships. So that's mm-hmm. like, uh, 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 one thing that people are familiar with is the concept of celebrity stalkers, right? That these people, they get fixated uh, and they fall in love with the image that they see on the screen and they get this false intimacy and then they show up naked to the person's house professing that they love us and the people are trying to keep mm-hmm. us apart and they don't understand. Now, part of that is just people that have like, you know, brain chemistry problems. Yeah. But like, it's something I've been thinking about in the terms and it's and a lot of like content creators on the internet talk about in terms of like their relationship with the fans. Like, you know, we have a podcast and we are very authentic, you know, uh, we're playing a version of ourselves, but it's probably much more authentic than most Hollywood types have played to this point. Mm-hmm. And people listen to this over a source of, of, of months and years, and they can get to know us in a very real way in a way that we don't know them. Yeah. And I think that like Bill's relationship with Rita is parasocial because he knows everything about her and she's stuck at the knowledge that she has of him, which is almost nothing. Well, it's also evolving too. I think like, yes, his, his side is certainly like an extreme amount of knowledge compared to hers, but also he changes so much as a person over the course of this. And that is in large part, I think shaped by Rita herself Mm -hmm. because you know it's gross but a fair amount of this movie is him pursuing her and trying uh-huh. to like he's playing Sekiro and the boss is Andy McDowell's pants uh-huh. and he <laughs> he fails to get into them time and time again and he's got to spend a whole day getting back there yeah yeah just to give it another try uh-huh uh-huh uh but he o- over the course of that like changes who he is right uh-huh. and he becomes more like Andy McDowell he becomes more like Rita every single day and eventually he becomes someone she could fall in love with in a single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think she does know him because he's a lot like her at that point. Yeah. Um, but it is, you're right. It's like, and that you say it's gross and that's where I'm trying to wrestle with. It's like, is it gross? Like, yes, but also this is such an extreme example of something that like, yeah, I wonder like if you're, if you, if you talk this 10,000 year loop, seriously, the most virtuous person they have to have a day where they just kill everyone in the town yeah they have sure. to like there's like there's it's like that I, I feel like that like that's something you would eventually do just out of like boredom or insanity or well, that's the thing I, I talked about you know the despair phase being yeah. psychological torture from the universe yeah. i mean he's being tortured here. like not even suicide gets you out of it no like 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 there's the, no the, escape the, the rock bottom there's like you know the the uh, he, the, the suicide montage. He tries to kill himself, like, mm-hmm. like at least what twelve times that we see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just a that's just a representative sample of how many how how long that he stays locked in the cycle. Um, right. I don't know. I think it's uh, it's interesting and seeing so like the full on crazy town he gets to where he's got. I'm thinking like, what was he doing and saying to get a girl? in a single day to dress up as a French maid and go to him with this movie thing where he's, he's dressed up as Clint Eastwood. This is hilarious to me because this is just commonplace. Now it's Uh clearly portrayed in the movie as like, they're the fucking weirdos who are dressed up cosplaying for this film opening. Yeah. That just happens every single day at every theater around the country. They would not. Yeah. The the French maid outfit would be like, well, what's I have to do with the good, bad, ugly. Like, yeah if you're going to a movie like clue it's not a problem absolutely um yeah groundhog day didn't predict that for no they did not future 
Uh, so we go, we, we go the hedonism. Do you want to talk about the hedonism phase anymore? Yeah, sure. Uh, um, there's that cake scene, which is fan fucking tastic. Yeah. Um, and then he, he pursues Nancy Taylor and he uses his, you know, this parasocial relationship, yeah. uh, in order to, <laughs> I, I can't, the thing that strikes me about this scene where they're making out in the, in his room, I guess, mm-hmm is when he calls her Rita twice and she still goes along with this. Like, what like, kind whatever. of person is Nancy? Yeah, it's it's not like... That's where the like the, the praying seems like it's it's happening. That he's but, like but she's she's complicit. She's willful willfully ignoring like all the signs. No, that she's this got some is damage. Wrong. Yeah, she's got some she's got some damage she's bringing to the table that he's exploiting for sure. Whew. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty dark. Dark. It's pretty dark. Um. So then he goes in after the hedonism, like he gets kind of bored with that and he fixates on the one woman that he is unable to have conquered. And Rita mm-hmm. is just a pure conquest beginning at the beginning. And he literally has to change everything about himself to get her to be interested in him. Yeah. Uh, on a surface level, but he doesn't ever change the thing on the inside. And that's uh, that that leads to the next, you know, the, her slapping him. And then you have the slap Taj. Uh, Which is a- great when she slaps him and, and it just smoothly transitions into him opening the door for her uh-huh uh-huh like slaps him toward the door and he grabs the, the yeah and, and there's 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 a lot of really like i really love the uh the face when he drinks sweet vermouth for the first time because who the hell drinks that i, I don't is that a real thing can can you drink for sweet vermouth on the rocks uh, you can with a twist? you can physically do it and what is the twist you could drink motor oil on the is rocks is the twist like an ounce of whiskey like what is the twist yeah the twist is hold the vermouth and actually uh, and actually right. put some bourbon in there like it's like a M. Night Shyamalan twist. That'd be great. An M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> cocktail yeah. that is exactly the opposite of what's on the menu. It's sweet vermouth on the rocks with the twist. And the twist is it's actually rum and coke. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I also love the bla- the, the bartender. Uh, as far as I can tell, he's the only black person in the entire movie. But he steals oh, the shit. scenes like him, like look like rolling his eyes and like shaking his yeah. head at the antics of, of Bill Murray and toasting to world peace and saying a prayer and is is yeah. is fucking wonderful. Uh, but this slap Taj then jump kicks the f- film into its next phase, which is hitting rock bottom mm-hmm. and deep depression. Yeah. And the thing I noticed last night is that. It begins this scene with him displaying his Jeopardy mastery mm-hmm. and how like even that's becoming more perfect with time because like now when I think of Jeopardy, I think of Alex Trebek and his likely doomed at this point struggle against cancer and the yeah. fact that he's going to be, you know, he, he's 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 still on there every night doing this thing and it adds like a little bit of uh you know, piquant uh, sadness and, and sorrow and, and malaise to the scene that just is perfect for kicking off the depression phase. I mean, also, he's sitting with just the oldest people he can find. Mm-hmm. They're all this, in God's waiting room. Town. Right. They're all just sitting there waiting to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where I think the movie's got the sharpest writing. Like, his, his existential speeches where he's progressively giving more and more deranged. I mean, think about this. Uh-huh. Like, like, from his standpoint... He, because I was thinking about like if I got trapped in your average day, I'm in a pretty good position to exploit that because like if I just didn't want to come into work, you know, if like was, I was supposed to come in today, for example, this is the day I repeat. Mm-hmm. If I call you, I've got like almost unlimited slack points with you. Like you would never suspect I'd call in sick like maliciously. 
right? Not, not like, really, like, no. it's like, in fact, I'm almost never like I drag myself here on death's door. Like if you thought yeah. if I called and was like, dude, I can't show up for sick, you'd be like, Jesus Christ. Aaron's probably going to the hospital later or something like that. Or, or like, I mean, if Jack had a thing or just like, so there are a myriad of, of reasons I would be like, oh yeah, he needs to. Yeah. So I, I got an out. I could, I could just bail on the day or I could yeah. come in here and like come in and be like, you know what? Fuck Groundhog's Day. Let's just play video games. I could probably yeah. could cajole the people in my life to do it almost anything, mm -hmm. but still 10,000 years of that. Holy shit. Well, all you need is one good excuse, right? You just need to find one excuse that works. Because it always resets. It, it's right. not like I, I'll eventually, uh, the thousandth time I call yeah. in sick that it'll be, but, but still like, There's, you don't need any variation. It, it made me think of like still even, even a day that's like primed that you could do almost anything. Yeah. There's a limit to how far you can travel, what you can do in a 24 hour space. And that's and the hell of this is he's stuck in this location. Yes. Yes, there's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do to leave or escape He's it. He's fortunate that there's a piano teacher in the town that there that he can learn ice sculpting mm -hmm. before the internet's a real thing right. in this small little town. Yeah, um, but also maybe think of like, what if he repeated that day on the island? I bet like any day you repeat that far many times would eventually turn into be hell. On the island? Yeah, because he's talking about why, when he was talking with the drunks at the bar, and he's like, you know, why couldn't I... Oh, yeah. I had no. this one day right. where I met this model, and I was on this desert island, and we ate lobster and oyster, and yeah. then we made love like sea lions. That and was the, a good day. That was a good day. Why? But but repeat that day 10,000 times. Yeah. And is it still good? That's a fair question. Uh, one that I think is built into the question of immortality. Yeah. So he spends it some of your time at rock bottom where he just tries to figure out ways to end this where he and, just... But he tries everything. Like, he tries everything he can think of short of suicide to get out of this. Yeah. Even down to killing the groundhog. Now... But that's I, that's what I kicks think... off the suicide arc where he goes... Right. Uh, the, my favorite speech, like, I always just like, uh, it's going to be cold, it's going to be long, it's going to last the rest of your life. But now the second one he gives where he's like... Uh, you know, welcome to Puxatani, blah, blah, blah. There's no way this winter's ever going to end. Right. I don't see any way out. He's got to be stopped. And, and I've got to stop His him. performance when he's like, he's got to be stopped. And then like the dawning real, <laughs> like it's, ha he, this isn't a speech he's rehearsed. He's working out his own logic of his existence in real time. And it's amazing. I think it's, it's a really dark thing too, because like, yes, he's going to go on to commit suicide. But I yeah. think this is the moment that he decides like, because talking about the groundhog here, is a thinly veiled and very thinly because their names are the same uh -huh. uh, rationale for his own suicide. Exactly. And it works so well to sort of kick off, like go from this extreme despair into the suicide mode. Yeah. Uh, because it almost gives him like, well, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to do this, but what other choice does he have? Right. Mm. He's tried to kill the groundhog. Now, if the only way out is to kill himself, you can almost understand that. Now, I don't know what to call the next phase because at the end of the montage, uh, where I guess it's maybe acceptance, or I, I, I don't maybe this is just a transition phase because he's just given up. He mm -hmm. doesn't care anymore. He's over to hedonism. He's over to tail chasing. Um, and at this point, Rita, unbidden, starts to take a shine to him. Yeah. Uh, and they spend this like what you know this perfect day together where she says, "Well, maybe it's not a curse, Phil." And he does like, gosh, you're a nice lady. <laughs> and she thinks he disappears at midnight, which dispels that whole myth. Yeah. Um, but her speech that he gives to her while she's half asleep kind of launches this next phase. Yeah. Uh, which, what would you call this? So the period of selflessly giving? 
Yeah, the uh, self improvement phase. A, a, attempted mastery, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the the defining moment of this is him not being able to accept the death of Pop, which is yeah. Um, Pop is the old uh, homeless man that we don't really know anything about other than he's in a pitiful condition and he's homeless and he's the reason why for the first couple of years uh, we did this around homeless charity. Um, but he's obsessed with like creating the perfect day. Like I think that this is still maladaptive because just like he's obsessed yeah. with escaping the day with his own death. I think this chase for perfection is him still thinking there's a way out. Mm-hmm. Like if I can do everything right and I can I can just give of myself endlessly, then maybe that's the way out. But he realizes that that too is is not like it's he's still too attached to some kind of outcome, which leads us to the final phase of integration, where he's not trying too hard, but because he's got unlimited practice at this day, he's just very good at it. Mm-hmm. And the film a little I think cheats a lot, but by this time. Uh, unless you've seen it 25 times, you have so much goodwill towards the movie that you just allow it to. Because, like, how is the whole town in love with him with, like, at this point, maybe 12 hours of interaction? The well, head go- knob gobbler fucking loves him. <laughs> uh, this, the, 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 the music teacher, the delusional piano teacher loves him. Yeah, three different women he's get making into, her look good. Three different women get into a bidding war. Uh-huh. Like, has he has he romanced them like the Don Juan? All of them in this twelve hour space. I guess the question is, what what did he do with Nancy that made her? Because she clearly loves him, right? She's bidding in this war. She got, like, she, he fixed a teenager's marriage with the wrestling mania right? tickets. I can like, understand that. I can understand saving Brian Doyle Murray's life. Uh, keeping it from choking. Which I have to say, like, it's a good thing that he did get stuck in this day because this was the day that the punks tony phil officiate died yeah it had been a dark dark groundhog day right they might have like disbanded the whole thing altogether. they could have the head knob gobbler jokes <laughs> then how are you going to gobble knob next year it's got oh, a really sweet irony it's going to really go to really cast a pall over the celebrations jim but i'm not sure what he did with nancy uh the waitress uh-huh did he make her life measurably better i, I don't, don't know. know i don't know he but punched you're... a guy out when they said uh it's parking anywhere pal and she drops the dish for the you're right, though. He, they do have a lot of latitude here. And the stuff they do before this, where he goes around and he catches the kid in the tree, he jacks the car. It's a shorthand. He's doing yeah. all of this every day. He does all of this in a single day, and everyone loves him for it. He's, 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 I think it works. He's practicing it like an obsessive speedrunner is trying to get the fastest path through the game, and he's, he's approaching the day like that. Yeah. Um, is that enlightenment? Is that what enlightenment looks like? That you just devote your... Because, like, is he going to do that no, the rest of his but life? but I think it came with a certain realization that who he had been in the past was a negative person um, who was bringing everyone down, uh-huh. as opposed to the person that Andy McDowell is and sees the joy and the beauty in things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the actions themselves are not what does it it's his motivations yeah um the the person he is has changed yeah and i think you're right you you nailed it on the head when we talked earlier about it goes a long way to make um you feel better about uh rita and phil being because this is not a happily ever after this is not necessarily the, this is the beginning it's not saying it's not right it's the beginning Mm-hmm. This is the one this is this the once upon a time is now beginning for their relationship and we'll you know and and I think that's uh cuz yeah she's just got one one day she's got two days of knowledge one where he was an asshole yeah. and one where he's apparently the saint of this town mm-hmm. and now 
uh, since he's still a mortal person, it's probably finding the real Phil that's somewhere between that Satan and and uh, Angel, Absolutely. the devil and Angel. Once once the groundhog effect wears off, yeah, because it's um, easy to be generous with your time when you have an infinite amount of it. Just like it's easy to be absolutely. generous with your donations if you have you know uh, a ton of money. It's uh, yeah. you're scraping by to make ends meet. It's a lot harder to throw that buck into the Red Cross than you just throw a handful of you know your spare change. Uh, the other thing they do that helps a little bit, aside from showing all the good deeds he does, uh-huh. is they have him, what is this, the third year in a row that he's done this event? And so the third year in a row that he's come to Punxsutawney. Yes. So these people, he does he does have a relationship with this town prior to it. And so Andy McDowell, when she sees that everyone loves him so much, can sort of be fooled into thinking that he's always been this nice guy and he's always been beloved in this town Mm -hmm. it's not it's not an honest perception but it is what she thinks yeah i wonder how you ever like how you ever make a real relationship work like does if phil comes clean and tells her everything does it ruin it or like 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 a progress i don't think so she's pretty intrigued by the concept over the course of the film but just like the fact that like a person has known you for ten thousand years and knows every intimate detail Mm -hmm. that (laughs) <laughs> and and the circumstances under which some of those revelations came, like ah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how many details you want to reveal. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, then you're, not like, com- you're advocating not coming clean or like a progressive real re- 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 reveal. I mean, yeah, you. So I, I do think you need to you need to reveal a lot about your time there, but also, I, I think the way you flavor it is like you are the thing that made me change like because it's clear throughout the film like Andy mm-hmm. McDowell is the driving force of his change yeah Rita is the thing that makes him a better person over right. the course of these years and it's also interesting that's, that that's not a, a scary thing that's a flattering thing and it's also interesting given unlimited time and the the slaptage is to explain to you that in that that Rita never never accepts the old Phil as a lover no under any circumstances no. no matter how hard he tries no matter how hard outwardly he he molds her himself to be her ideal man mm-hmm. it's the inside that she can sniff out and and detect that that presence right. um i think that's i don't know this i this fucking movie i am so, totally in the tank for it <laughs> i think it has so many great lessons and it's something that like as i age and get older like the things it teaches me and tells me are completely different because I've got you know mm-hmm. different experiences and different ways of looking at it. And uh, yeah, the first few times I saw this movie, I came away from it thinking, "Wouldn't it be cool to have a no consequence day? Yeah, where nothing you did mattered. You could do anything." That was my takeaway as like mm-hmm. a thirteen to twenty year old. Because it seemed like Bill Murray makes it's it so seem like a good now. time, even when he's killing himself. Yeah. There's still a little something like, uh-huh. like when he steps in front of the bus and he's kind of doing that, like the he's like like twitching his hands. He's always doing something. It's it's the it's the fantasy. It's the reason people play video games, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's that fantasy of like, what if I could be something else? What if I could do something different? What if you know, what if the possibilities were endless? Yeah. Uh, well, it's also a little bit of a, there's also a little bit of Hellraiser in that, like, <laughs> how many okay. times, like, I've been at the edge of a cliff and, like, have that kind of, like, hall of the void where it's like, what would it feel like to do that? And then it's like, you have oh, this, just like, go over, right. you have this, like, full body revulsion of, like, uh-huh. oh, God, or, like, the, 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 like sometimes, uh, um, I don't know how dark I want to get. Uh, yeah, let's leave it at the Grand Canyon. You're at the top, you're at the top okay. of Grand Canyon and you feel the call oh, of the void. 
Uh, You're staring at a table full of food. You, you don't do that. Or like, what would it feel like to chop off your arms or to like cut your nipples off or something like that? Like you, like you sometimes think about that and it's like, huh. But like, yeah. um, there might be all, there might be a whole garden of delights down the path of maiming and killing yourself that you can't explore because like you can only do it once, right? Right, right. Like, but like you could go full on Cenobite. If you're uh-huh. in, you could you could explore all the decadent pleasures of of self harm and killing it's yourself true. in a consequence free environment. It's true. I don't know if that would be my first intuition, <laughs> oh, no, but I definitely know. you I could know. get there for I sure. I know, but there's 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 a bit of Hellraiser in that depth of despair type oh, of, yeah. of phase that he goes in through. ten thousand years of the same day. Yeah, with with Ned fucking Ryerson yeah. coming up because if to he's me every just day. over existence, he would just just kill himself the same way every day. He, yeah. he there's variety there. There's some variety there. I'd, I'd turn I'd turn Ned Ryerson into a flesh flower at some point. <laughs> a blood angel. Oh yeah, uh, I'd human centipede the whole town at some point. It would be <laughs> it'd be real dark in Jim's version of Groundhog Day. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you, For you, at least eighty five years. I bet there's a version where he finds out where every gun in town is, mm-hmm. takes them all, so there's nothing they could do, and there's the, the the blizzard, and he just hunts men and women as sport that night. I'm sure. The night of Groundhog's Day, he got fucking the wild hunt uh-huh. uh, a, a couple times. It got, it, got, it got some dangerous game <laughs> here and there. Uh, damn, I said we were going to get that dark, Jim. What the I, hell? I'm sorry. It's I, the end I, of the I, cast. I tried to pump the brakes, and you just... That's, you that's drove angry right the, over the cliff. The cherry on the on the pie? That's a thing, right? Yeah. 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 It's the cherry on the pie. Cherry on the whipped cream sundae. Uh that's that's all I got to say for yeah. now about Groundhog Day. Uh I hope you've enjoyed this review. Please, and I don't know what it is as a podcast, a, a, a meditation. Uh if you've enjoyed it, uh I hope you're excited for this weekend's Groundhog Day celebration, which for us starts on noon on Friday, this Friday, January 31st. It'll end the following noon on February 1st. We're going to be watching all the great disaster films of all time. Uh, honestly, it's in the last 20 years. We, we didn't go. There's no tower. No, no tower yeah, Infer- Inferno. No Poseidon Adventure. No Poseidon Adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck all that. We, we, we kept it. it no you got that big, but we want a big budget CG ex- extravaganza. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. It's going to go for a worthy cause, which is to help our brothers and sisters in Australia uh, uh, recover from the, the the wildfires that even now ravage the continent. Uh, it's on twitch.tv slash bald move. You will not be able to miss it. We're going to be tweeting about it. We're going to be sending out all the ats, bald moves everywhere. It's going to be on the front page of bald move. If you are awake and active and wanting to engage in those 24 hours, please come by, give us some encouragement. Uh, hang out for a bit, and if you got the, if you got those uh, uh, hypothetical dollars that you want to throw into the Red Cross's bucket, it's uh, all proceeds go to the Red Cross of Australia to help Australians in need. Yeah. Uh, and that is our review of Groundhog Day. Catch us in a couple years when we do Groundhog Day <laughs> Part Six Boogaloo. Oh, do boy. it all over again. Our own Groundhog Day within a Groundhog Day. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. Hey. Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Welcome to the Groundhog Day podcast. Uh, 1993's Bill Murray vehicle. Bill Murray, Andy McDowell. A lot, of, a lot of famous faces from the 90s in this one. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray, who I just tried to approximate and failed miserably, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Aaron, 
How many times have you seen this movie? I was just thinking about that. Uh, by the way, this is directed by Harold Ramis, written by Danny uh, Rubin and Harold Ramis. Yeah. Uh, I have seen this movie on camera 12 times.